I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to Better World. Better World is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. Plastic recycling does not work. It's just not a real solution. We have to reinvent the materials. They have to be biodegradable. There's so much confusion around biodegradability, and there's an education campaign that needs to be done there. And that's really where the benefit of partnering with third-party brands comes into play. Our vision is that when we have 30, 50, 100, 1,000 brands all marketing this, that's when the change happens. Like Blueview on its own doesn't have enough money to educate the world on this problem, but all the companies banding together, that's where we feel like we can make the big impact. And here with us today is Julia Rudman of Better World, our newest co-host. Julia, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Julia, I don't know if you know a little bit about this, but um, apparently a gajillion tons of plastic are produced every year. It breaks down into microplastics, which um, infect our water tables and our food sources. It goes all the way from tiny, tiny organisms like phytoplankton and zooplankton, consuming it all the way up through fishes, through animals, and ends up in our bodies. Uh, and it turns out that microplastics attract toxins and carcinogens and uh, are potentially a leading cause of cancer. Not really great. And one of the largest sources of plastic um, are shoes. More than 20 billion pairs of shoes are manufactured around the world globally. And uh, a study from Qantas claims that the footwear industry is responsible for 1.4% of global greenhouse gas emissions. It's a lot to digest, but you know, I just wanted to set the stage and make sure you were aware, Julia. Yeah, thank you. I did not know all of that. So it's <laughs> definitely, it's a large statistic and I'm, I'm curious to hear more. The shoes on your feet are ending the world, world, world. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's really aggressive at best. Um, I'm also this much fun on dates for uh, those of you guys who want to know. But here with us today, we have Steve and Tom from Blueview. Blueview has invented the first fully compostable shoe. Guys, welcome to the pod. Hey, Henry. Thanks for having us. It's a good time, you know, when you're talking about taking a load off your feet, huh? Uh, anyone? Absolutely. No? Okay, we're not going to do shoe jokes today. It's fine, fellas. <laughs> but Maybe I'm trying. And there we are. Um, uh, it really came to me. I thought that was divine inspiration. Nope. Somebody <laughs> here probably laughed. It's fine. Guys, um, uh, tell us a little bit about the company and, and um, you know what you've built and how long it has taken to build. I believe it required a tremendous amount of resources. Yeah, I'll take the first stab at that. So um, I'm a scientist, deep nerd. Professor at UC San Diego, and I've been working for the last I don't know thirty-five years on all different forms of algae biotechnology. Ooh, maybe, triple threat guy! Yeah, Let's go. yeah, deep, 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 deep nerd. So maybe twelve years ago, I started a company called Sapphire Energy that was going to make biofuels from algae, and uh, they got a lot of money, and they were working away, and it occurred to me in 2015 that that was probably unlikely to happen not because we couldn't do it but because fuel is the lowest valued commodity on the planet and there were so many other things that we should do with our algae rather than burn it in a car and so we pivoted and decided that 
Petroleum is just ancient algae and plastics come from petroleum. So let's make plastics from algae and, and let's put a 21st century spin on it and make sure that those plastics biodegrade at the end of their life so that we're not only sustainably sourced, but we, we take care of the entire life cycle. And then at the end of their life, they just compost back into to mulch. Now, it took you guys three years and 15 million. What, what was the numbers in order to do this? Yeah, it's more like more like six years and 15 million, but it's taken us a while. Um, and actually, this was built on the back of lots of other research that we worked on for many years. So, um, But, but, but fully we, compostable, right? So it, it's an algae product that completely breaks down over a course of how long and, and what is the composting process? You know, we've been greenwashed so many times that we hear yeah. compostable um, with these plastic alternatives that really require industrial facilities. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, I mean, the greenwashing, as you know, Henry out there is just unbelievable. Turns out there's a lot of liars on the world. Who knew? But anyway, co- composting. It's filled with my axes and greenwashers. It's a real terrible place, Steve. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, so biodegradation is really well known, right? I mean, people try to, to make it cloudy and opaque and, you know, we can't, oh, we can't understand this is complete BS, right? The science behind it is really well known. You have to have a material that can biodegrade. You have to have organisms that then secrete enzymes that depolymerize that material. And then they eat the small pieces that come off that, right? So the actual material itself has to be a polymer is a chemically bound structure that is that is really well bound. Right. And so the real problem is the ability to break it down. Plastic takes a thousand years to actually break down. So it needs to be able to be eaten good food for these enzymes, which are able to break it down. And that's really the key distinction. Is that correct? That is correct. So polymer means lots of monomers joined together. And when you join two monomers together, you join those by a chemical bond. And if that chemical bond exists in nature, then there's something in nature that can eat it. So we make polyurethanes. Urethane bonds are found in nature. We make polyester polyurethanes. Ester bonds are found in nature. There are organisms that break those down. There are no organisms that break down polypropylene or polystyrene or polyethylene, and there never will be. Right? That, that is right. fantasy. That's greenwashing. Right. And those materials are the petrochemical materials, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 yep. the most of the plastic, including EVA on your shoes. But anyway, we it took us it took us years. Most of that money was spent not only developing the chemistry behind it, but then there's another process called formulation, which is after you have a polymer, you have to turn it into a product that somebody wants, right? Like it doesn't do you any good if you have a biodegradable plastic. If it's a piece of crap that nobody wants to wear or nobody wants to, you know, doesn't have good physical properties. So we spent a lot of our time turning our biodegradable polymers into cool products. And the, and the first product we went after were soft foams for shoes. So we were happily working away um, on these things. Tom was up at uh, Vans and then a, a company called Reef. And Tom was out looking for a material that they could use in their flip-flops that would biodegrade. And because both Tom and I are surfers, kind of a small community, eventually we met, had coffee, and talked about could we incorporate our biodegradable polymers into Tom's Reef's flip-flops. 
And, right. and why we were why we were discussing that deal, it occurred to Tom and I that there was actually a bigger play here, which was to develop an entire company based upon these materials. Because you can not only use them in shoes, we can use them in coated fabrics, raincoats. We can use them in iPhone cases. We can use them in car tires and car seats. Polyurethanes are everywhere. So during these discussions, I just you know, asked Tom if he wanted to come over and join me and start to actually make products and kind of go beyond the material science that we had done and see if we could actually make products and get them on the market. Right. Tom? Yeah. So I've been in the shoe business for about 25 years. You know, Steve mentioned Vans and Reef and how we met. Um, you know, my motivation for joining was just to be a part of the solution and and stop being a part of the problem. You know, Henry, you had talked about how you know, polluting the fashion industry is it's the fourth to the 10th most polluting industry on the planet, depending on which report you read. Right. And, you know, you, you, you spend enough time in the industry and you start to realize, wow, okay, this idea of perpetual growth for every company on the planet isn't sustainable. And you're just selling more shit to people that they really don't need. And so it became more about how do we make better things that are going to, you know, help future generations live on this planet. I mean, as a species, we're kind of sawing off the limb we're sitting on um, as we continue to sort of destroy uh, ecosystems and, and destroy wilderness. And, you know, these plastics, I mean, they're everywhere, right? You talked about microplastics um, and the amount of pollution, and we wanted to do something about it. So that's why Steve and I partnered up and uh, I joined the company. Awesome. Well, out of curiosity, guys, why did you choose shoes first? And why did you choose uh, creating your own brand uh, rather than, you know, calling up Nike and being like, hey, guys, get your shit together? <laughs> well, we tried both. But Tom, you explain that one. <laughs> yeah, well, Steve had a, um, when I met Steve, he was in the middle of a, a multi-year relationship a development relationship with one of the large, I won't mention the brand by name, but the world, one of the world's largest sporting goods companies, um, you know, they had done like a three-year R&D deal. And the challenge you have with the big brands is they just are so slow. You know, it's typically four to eight years to get a new technology development project um, actually into the marketplace in a shoe. And so Steve and I sort of calculated, okay, I already had some experience on the brand end of it, finding like cool new innovative technologies. And if they were more expensive than the incumbent, it was oftentimes very difficult to get senior management to adopt. You know, I, I was former VP of global product at Reef, former, you know, senior director of a big business unit at Vans, a couple hundred million dollar business unit at Vans. And um, you know, just kind of had seen on the inside how hard it is at times to adopt some of these third-party technologies. And I had explained all that to Steve. Hey, you know what? We're going to get pounded on price. We're going to get, uh, you know, piloted to death. And so we made this sort of calculation that we didn't have the time from a burn rate and the planet didn't have the time from its own sort of theoretical burn rate. Like we're burning up the planet and we just we just didn't have the time to wait. So our calculation on to answer the first part of your question, our calculation on why shoes was, hey, you know what? On the gross margin per kilo of material, that's one of the best entry points. We sort of did some math on that. 
And we were validated by one of the world's largest chemical companies that we collaborate with. We tried to do a deal with them where we said, hey, why don't we keep shoes and give you guys everything else? And they're like, oh, we always launch everything in polymers and shoes. It's the sexiest category. It's a young consumer, um, you know, great marketing, storytelling capability, yada, yada, and really great profitability. So we're like, oh, okay, great minds think alike. And then, you know, on the decision for Blueview and launching our own brand, it was literally just a speed, pace, and control of innovation and storytelling play. It, that, that decision probably saved us two to four years of burn rate um, and millions of dollars, you know, in time. And it, it, that's because it is significantly more easy for you guys to be, you know, young, small, and nimble than it is to get any of these larger companies with their partnerships to move in the right direction? It's, it's a combination of two things, Henry. One, they're just big, and so things are going to move slower just because of mass, right? But then the other thing is, for those guys, they already have an existing product on the market, and they're trying to make it incrementally better, right? But they don't want to make it different. Like, they don't want to have different manufacturing or different material supply chain. All those things are painful for them. So what they want is they want you to develop the technology to the degree that you can literally mail it to their factory in China or wherever. Right. And those people can drop it and it'll just work seamlessly. And that's not the way new technologies get developed. There's always pain and suffering when you introduce something new into a new manufacturing system, into a new supply chain. And so number one, they don't like that. They don't want to pay for it. And they're going to do it as slow as they possibly can. And as a startup company, you can just do those things much quicker. Tom and I make a decision. We, we look at the problem. We look at what our, our choices are for a solution. And we pick one that day, that minute, right? Take and some mushrooms, go right back to the waves, keep it going. I get it, fellas. Yeah. It's a great time. <laughs> uh, the, notwithstanding the fact that the large corporations are so slow and so painful, what do you believe to be the method, the path to scale um, uh, for the solution? How does it get adopted, you know, widely in instead uh, of uh, the you know the existing petrochemical driven products that are on the market today? Well, here's the interesting thing that you know Tom and I thought theoretically before we started, and it's turned out to be perfectly true, which is once you make a product and put it on the market and people can hold that in their hands and look at it, then two things happen. One, they realize, oh, this does work in mass manufacturing. These guys did it, so we can do it too. That's, that's the first thing. And then very quickly after that, the fear of God sets in that, oh no, if these guys can do it, our competitors can do it, we better get this technology in-house as quick as we can. So the minute that shoe got on the market, Tom's and my phone started ringing off the hook from companies. Right, right. FOMO. Exactly. Right. Okay, so it, what is the adoption time uh, that you think these larger companies then have now that there's you know an incentive that you've put into the market? I think it could be done in a couple of years, probably. I mean, the, the okay. typical product development timelines are 12 to 18 months. But for this type of a product, it's going to be longer just because it's new technology, as Steve said. It's just going to take a little bit longer to incorporate into factories. We already obviously have it integrated into one factory in Indonesia, and it's going quite well there. And it's eventually going to be in multiple factories around the world as, as quickly as we can get it there. 
Um, we're dealing with a big European company that that wants to put it in Italy. And so, you know, it, it's moving. Um, Steve has a quote that really resonates with me that, you know, the small victory for us is we sell a lot of shoes. The big victory is we clean up manufacturing for multiple industries. That's that's the real transformation. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, what are the other industries that you think are applicable? Well, the big one that we're moving into right now is coated fabric. So we so polyurethanes, as much as you can make soft foams with them, you can also make something called a thermoplastic polyurethane or a TPU. And so that's the coating that's on every raincoat. That's the, you know, the coating that is on, you know, you you name it. That sort of plastic coating that you can put on things. And so we make one that's biodegradable. So we're into discussions now with lots of the garment manufacturers to see if we can get waterproof coating made from our polyurethanes onto their products. That could be a raincoat. That could be a, a bag, you know, a backpack, a tent, you know, all kinds of things. And then I think the next one after that will be the automotive industry. Uh, TPUs are what is uh, the dashboard of, of 90% of the cars. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a ton of opportunity um, in terms of industry verticals, I mean, you know, Steve mentioned it, but it's like we're starting in footwear, then we'll transition into apparel and accessories. Um, you know, foams and coated fabrics are, you know, in both both of those spaces in fashion. And then, yeah, beyond fashion, I mean, you know, automotive, furniture. I mean, you look at the amount of foam and furniture and and coated fabrics and furniture. Those are the real, the really big ones are like bedding, furniture, and automotive in terms of just raw consumption of polyurethane. Um, and what's inter interesting is those markets just scale up in size. Like the total addressable market for all polyurethane is about $73 billion. And when Steve talked about that coated fabric opportunity, that's that's huge. That's like $43 billion just in coated fabrics. In the same way that you did the Blue View shoes, do you have to do proof products um uh for each of these industry segments yeah that's an interesting question and it it may not be true for coated fabrics because steve got coated fabrics into one of the largest coated fabric manufacturers from europe i think they're top five worldwide and he supplied the tpu pellets to them the biodegradable tpu pellets and it, it worked it was just it worked really really quickly it just became this sort of drop-in solution that was almost identical to the processing of their existing incumbent tech from petroleum. So it sort of might not need the same quick proof of concept from, from us as, as Blueview did for the shoe, for the foam, because it was just more difficult to integrate. It could still benefit from it though, you know? Right. And what are the various next steps that you guys have to take in order to get these products done and to market and to scale? Do you have to go down, you know, the painful path of uh, strategic partnership again? Or, um, you know, like, what does what the growth of the solution look like? Well, we have one advantage going for us now that when we started on the shoes, which was actually almost six years ago, and, you know, Tom came over two years ago, there, there was still an attitude, I think, in, in a lot of the industry that bio-based materials were pretty cool, and that was probably the future. But I don't think they were really thinking that it was like the next week future. I think all of them were still thinking, oh, we have a couple of years to transition to this. 
And that doesn't seem to be people's attitudes now. When, when right. we talk to groups now, it's just a completely different game. Almost all of them are, how fast can we get this into our products? You know, are you willing to go to our factories in Indonesia or in China or in Europe? Can your team right. integrate this in? How fast can we go? So I, I, I think it's a, it's a, there, there, there's a little more urgency, I would say, in the big brands to get this in. And part of that is because we introduced the shoe and other people have introduced, you know, foams into, into other verticals, right? And, and bio-based materials into other verticals. So it'll help us, as Tom points out, it helps an enormous amount when you have a product that people can look at and hold in their hand. And we're under discussions with two big garment manufacturers right now to actually make a raincoat or a travel bag where our polyurethanes are used as the waterproof coating on those. So out of uh, uh, curiosity, do you guys have a goal, you know, company-wide um, for, for where you want to take the company and how you want to take the company? Like what, what does the future look like for you guys? What, where, how do you judge success? Yeah, I think Tom had that quote before, which is the little success is that we sell a lot of shoes and, you know, maybe some travel bags and phone cases, right? The big success is when we integrate this in to every shoe on the planet. And there's no reason we can't. And it might not be us, right? Like it might not be, okay, Algenesis Blue View material is in every Nike and every Adidas and every New Balance shoe. But something that's similar is, right? And, right. and the same way that Elon Musk and Tesla sort of force the entire auto industry to electrify, we hope will be the tip of the spear to do the same thing, first in shoes and then in apparel and then in automotive to, to I won't say force, but you know, to, to enable those industries to become bio-based and biodegradable. Yeah, I mean, I would say it. Right. I would say it's similar, right? The purpose of the company is to fight global plastic pollution. And the mission is to accelerate the adoption of these uh, biodegradable plastic materials that we've invented. And, uh, you know, for us, part of the part of unlocking the vision of what success looks like, you know, we have this, you know, about $150 million five-year revenue plan. But I mean, if we achieve it, this is a billion dollar company. and you know, I was really aware of that when I met Steve. I'm like, man, this is a super hyper innovative company. And, you know, really had a strong desire to help him get this tech out of lab and get it into factories and into industries. And so, you know, we're going to need some capital to unlock the vision too. Right now we're out raising our series A round, you know, to date, you know, the 15 million in six years we referenced earlier, that was primarily government grants that Steve and his team are just amazing. Um, they're amazingly adept at, at getting those grants funded. I mean, they're getting like a 50% hit rate on grants where most people get 10% hit rate on their grants. Oh, wow. Right. And so we're sort of the darling of the Department of Energy. Um, but, you know, you can't fully commercialize a company with government grants. So we raised three and a half million in a seed round, and now we're out. Um, raising 10 million on a series A round. And so, you know, that capital is what we're going to push into, you know, unlocking more factories, you know, better QAQC support in Asia and, and in Europe when we're in these factories. Um, and clearly like 
a larger sales and marketing staff to go out um, and 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 pound the the big companies to adopt, right? And because uh, right now Steve and I have done primarily all the selling, and so we, we want more sophisticated sales and marketing for this select technology that we've invented. And the good news is there's there's a long line of customers saying, "Hey, when you guys are ready, we're ready." Um, you know, as a startup, you just have limited resources and you have to kind of pick your lane and do a couple of projects. And, you know, launching this project with Reef is going to be huge. We also have an Italian luxury brand right behind Reef that's going to adopt the technology for insoles. Um, so it's exciting. Those first couple are going to be big shots across the bow and, and really kind of put the industry on alert that, hey, we're ready. Um, and it's time to, to start to adopt and get this into more products and more brands. Agreed. Like, let's go, let's fellas. Go. You know, you're you're holding a silver bullet. <laughs> let's fire. I, I think the the last thing that we should really touch on and dig into, because um, you guys have said a lot today, the prevalence of petrochemicals in all of these products, um, and the amount of greenwashing done by any number of companies to you know keep us in the dark and uh, and, and just status quo. Nuts, right? So. I think, you know, your first order of business is to wake, you know, everybody the heck up. The second order of business, you guys had mentioned that the government does play a role and a surprising one at that in the grant and innovation side, um, but also in the adoption and in the subsidy side. Yeah. Um, so should people, you know, be looking uh, for these clean solutions and alternatives um, uh, to garner more subsidies than, oh, I don't know, um, uh, the petrochemical industry, which currently has the... Uh, the boon of all the subsidies? Uh, should we be pressing on the government a little bit more? Oh, uh, 100%. If you look at photovoltaics, right, solar panels on top of your house, now those things are cheaper than a coal-fired electrical plant, right, large-scale solar. How did that come about? That didn't come about because solar came out the door being cheap and scaled, right? That was subsidized by the government. They gave people tax incentives to put solar panels on top of your roof. And the same is true electric cars, right? Elon and Tesla got built by a whole lot of federal dollars going into people you know, like, like Tom and me um, who could afford to buy those things. And we, and we got a big tax break for doing it. It is absurd to think, you know, Cars aren't polluting the ocean. Plastic is polluting the ocean. We are literally killing the oceans around the planet in real time. And yet somehow the legislature, legislators, hasn't occurred to them that we should do something about that by law, right? And they could do two things by that, right? One, they could demand that any plastic that goes out has to either be biodegradable or recycled. Not recyclable, recycled. Those are two very different things. Yeah. Lots of plastics are recyclable. Almost no plastics get recycled, right? People just throw them away because it's cheaper to throw them away and, and, and make virgin plastic than it is. So they should pass laws that say you can no longer do that. If you don't take that plastic back, you don't get to sell it. Or that plastic has to biodegrade. And if they did those two things simply, man, our business would boom. And you would change this overnight. It wouldn't Ooh. take 20 years. Yeah, it's true. Julia? 
Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to say, I think I've learned more in the last like 30 minutes than any science class I've ever taken. So thank you. <laughs> thank you both for that. And apologies if any um, science teacher of mine is listening to this, but um, really interesting information. So thank you both. Um, I just had a question kind of from a consumer standpoint, if you guys have seen any trends that have stood out to you in terms of who's purchasing the shoes, um, like just demographic wise, I'd be curious to know um, if you've noticed anything since you guys have launched. Yeah, we we definitely have. Uh, Planet loving moms are our number one yep. customer right now, and I think it's for exactly. two reasons. One, women are more aware of the problem, and I feel like more more maybe more threatened by the problem because they're thinking about their children. Um, and mm -hmm. future generations more than more than men. This isn't to say that men don't think about these things because I think there are definitely a group of men out there that that certainly do, but it feels like women just have more of a drive to lead this this fight. Um yeah. You know, Steve sort of called that one early on. If you look at the actual data on who's buying like quote sustainable products, it's a little bit more balanced, but the real cutting edge stuff it feels like women adopt first. Yeah, like really making a shift in terms of like changing the things you wear instead of just kind of like the things you buy for your home. Yeah, and if you look at female sort of household purchase behavior, women oftentimes and mothers oftentimes, especially young moms that are caring for young families, they're sort of the household buyer, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. They're buying for- Yeah, definitely. Sometimes they're, you know- Men, more often than not, they're buying for their kids or, you know, their kids might be influenced, but they're, they're making all the purchases oftentimes buying for their husbands too. So I think it makes, it yeah. makes sense. Um, and, you know, younger moms are really, really concerned about this problem. I mean, I think there's this eco anxiety that you're probably keenly aware of. I think we all are. It's hard to live in a constant state of fear. So a lot of what Steve and I are trying to do is give people some constructive hope. Like instead of just talking about the plastic pollution problem, we're actually doing something about it. We're, we're making new, better materials and we're trying to create some positive energy that, hey, we can actually get ahead of this thing and start to solve some of this stuff by reinventing the materials. I kind of want to go back to the recycling thing we talked about, because that's actually one of the biggest greenwashing myths out there, right? Like this, that oh, the part, worst. part of the education campaign, because Henry, you mentioned like, we've got to educate the general public. I think one of the biggest problems is that the oil companies went on like a 20, 30 year marketing campaign for recycling. That's total BS. Like plastic recycling does not work. It's just not a real solution. We have to reinvent the materials. They have to be biodegradable. You know, Steve didn't mention this stat, but less than 5% of the trillions of pounds of plastic that are produced every year are effectively recycled, meaning at or above the same performance level they started at. And, you know, there are plenty of industries where recycling works, like metal recycling works great. Plastic recycling does not work at all. And yet 95% of companies, that's their main message, Oh, look at me. I'm so cool. I'm so great. I made a recycled shoe. It's total BS. It's still going to wind up in the Great Pacific garbage patch as microplastics. It doesn't matter that it's recycled. You know, all that shit's thrown into landfill or winds up leaking into the environment. And that's, that's our mission. Like 
there's so much confusion around biodegradability and there's an education campaign that needs to be done there. And that's really where the benefit of partnering with third-party brands comes into play. Our vision is that when we have 30, 50, 100, 1,000 brands all marketing this, that's when the change happens. Like BlueView on its own doesn't have enough money to educate the world on this problem, but all the companies banding together and saying, look, recycling is not enough. It's not a real solution. This stuff has to be biodegradable. It's got to be biocircular um, and on and on. Like that's, that's where we feel like we can make the big impact. Okay. Out of curiosity, what is the website, fellas? <laughs> okay. Give w- me a plug. www.blueviewfootwear.com. Hit it up. Support us. We need your support. Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's go. go. Guys, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate this, you know, education and the idea that we should um, look at just how much petrochemicals and everything that we purchase um, and not be beholden to the greenwashing of recycling. So don't buy a product thinking that you can recycle it and thinking that it doesn't make impact. You buy plastic, it's going to be in the world forever. Full stop. Stop buying plastic. And thank you also for all the work that you're doing across different industry segments and how applicable this is. This is great. So we very, very much appreciate you. And we will look forward to hearing more about Algenesis and what you guys are releasing next. But in the meantime, uh, everyone check out Blueview. Guys, a very great episode and very educational. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us, Henry. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Julia. You were a good student. No quiz today. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anything and everything that we wanted to hear. I am Henry Lynn. This has been another episode of Better World. Join us again as we figure out how we can make together the world a little better.